you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. Yes, we're here. It's conference championship game weekend. Uh, This is it. We're down to four. Four teams. I'm Peter Schrager. This is the season with Peter Schrager. We've had a blast doing this podcast throughout the entirety of the 2022 season. We are now at the end of the line. we got four teams left, and I said it on Good Morning Football. Um, I said... You've got three of the four teams from last year's conference championship game returning, and you've got another team that won a Super Bowl in 2017 that still has a lot of those guys on there. Like this, there is no Cinderella left. There, this is the cream of the crop. Now, Brock Purdy's story could be Cinderella. You could say that Jalen Hurts being a second-round quarterback is Cinderella, but like at the end of the day, these are the four best teams in football, and I think the Bengals showed on Sunday that they belong. This isn't going to be, hey, well, what if Josh Allen had had a different deal? No, that was that was a blowout. Um, I want to talk about the Bengals, though, because we're going to have on a guest who's really close to, to one of the Bengals players in a second, um, and we'll get into to what that's all about. But I just look at what Cincinnati did on Sunday, and it's like, is there a more underappreciated team over the last two seasons than Cincinnati? I, everyone was kind of hesitant after last year, after they made this wild run, and they said, let's see you do it again. They start off the season 0-2. Um, they lose games to the Steelers in the division, and then they lose to the Cowboys with Brock Purdy. And you're like, all right, so this is a typical story. Team goes to Super Bowl, loses, and then fails to get back. They've simply been the best team in football the last two months. And I love the salt and the vinegar out of their coach, Zach Taylor, after the game on on Sunday. They asked Zach Taylor about it, and he, uh, he, you know, he had a really pithy response. He kind of apologized, or he did apologize to all the logistics makers um, around the league. And for those who had to worry about the logistics of a coin toss and a neutral field when the Bills play the Chiefs, Zach apologized to them um, from the heart. It is tough because they they have to formulate the plans for coin tosses and they got to formulate the plans for neutral side games and we just keep screwing it up for everybody and I hate that for for people that have to endure all those logistical issues and then uh, we just keep screwing it up so I'm sorry. He apologized to them because gosh he ruined their plans and he knows a lot of work went into that. Uh, I love that stuff. Lou Anarumo, defensive coordinator, 50-year-old dude from Staten Island, coached uh, all over the place was in Miami, but before that, you know, coached at I think Harvard. He was at uh, at Wagner a College in Staten Island. Before that, they've got the best defense in the league. Um, and, and as far as adjustments go, they they make them all the time. They have now silenced not only uh, Patrick Mahomes, but they've silenced Josh Allen in a playoff game. And 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 Arumo got zero head coaching interviews this entire cycle, zero. There are five coaching vacancies, not one of them, not one of those teams 
thought it might be wise to maybe pick the brain of a defensive architect who has beaten Patrick Mahomes every time he's faced him um, in the NFL and then just held Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey's offense to 10 points. All right, so that's one guy. Then there's Brian Callahan, who we've had on this podcast, the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, under 40 years old, has worked with everybody from Peyton Manning to Tim Tebow, has had success with both. Um, Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr has had success with both and now is with Joe Burrow. How many interviews did he get? He got one head coaching interview and it felt like it was a, it was almost like a nice to have interview with the Indianapolis Colts. I have not heard his name mentioned as a favorite for that job. So you're telling me the defensive coordinator has zero interviews. The offensive coordinator has one interview. No one's talking about the work that their offensive line coach, Frank Pollock, is doing. Nobody's talking about what their wide receivers coach, Troy Walters, is doing with all those young receivers and filling in when Jamar Chase went down. I think this team, forget about all the Allen and Mahomes stuff and how Burrow was kind of dismissed all summer and the beginning of the season as an overlooked quarterback. I, I think the coaching staff's overlooked. I think every part of this team is overlooked. I think when I say that uh, you know Joe Burrow doesn't view himself as an underdog, I think... It's fair to say that the, these these Bengals have been overlooked. Now look at the breadth of what they've done. AFC Championship game last year in what was Burroughs, you know, first full season as the starter. Um, and then you go right back to it in year number two, and you do it with, with all the departures on the offensive line that everyone freaked out about. And then, of course, the additions that got hurt. Um, with Lyle Collins and some of the other guys that have not been able to to stay on the field, I, I just think the Bengals the Bengals are a great story, and they might be the spoiler. They might be the team that no one wanted to see in the AFC Championship game, or nobody wanted to see in the Super Bowl. But they're leaning into it. Disrespect all over. They don't get mentioned, and uh, I kind of like this whole deal with them. And then you see the Chiefs, and you see it, and you look at what they did last week. Heroic win. Uh, from Patrick Mahomes, but gosh, I'm concerned. I have real concerns. He was hobbling around on that ankle, and I'm worried that that was adrenaline, and that was, all right, just get through these next two quarters, find a way to will us to win. Bengals defense doesn't care. You'd think Eli Apple and Trey Hendrickson are going to be going to be uh, you know worried about Mahomes' ankle? No. So, if anything, I think this game went from when it started, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon around six o'clock when we saw who was playing. It went from like, all right, Chiefs should be favored. They're an arrowhead to now, I think. I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say the Bengals should be the favorites in this game. We'll see where it ends up, but I know things have been shifting back and forth on that one. Either way, it's a beautiful game, and there's this other storyline of Mahomes being 0-3 against Burrow. That goes to 0-4. That is not just some coincidence. That's not some trend. That's a thing, and I don't think it's absurd to say, hey, Burrow has Mahomes' number. I know quarterbacks don't face each other one-on-one, but if one quarterback has team has won four games, and the other one has won zero against each other, that becomes an actual storyline, and it isn't just hot take stuff. That's the AFC. The NFC? Are you ready for the hardest hitting game of the season? Are you ready to see just smash mouth football like we have not seen uh, yet before? I I can't wait for it. I'm watching this this San Francisco defense just pummel Dak and and bottle up everybody on on Dallas, and then I'm watching the Eagles defense. You know, third most sacks in the history of a sport in a season. Philadelphia Eagles absolutely manhandle the Giants, which who are simmering, and then their offense just run all over for 280 something yards on the Giants, like. 
McCaffrey, we'll see his health, but I know that McCaffrey, you check Elijah Mitchell behind that offensive line. They're going to be smashing the ball with Debo, of course, getting some touches. And then the Eagles, what they showed was if Jalen Hurts isn't going to kill you with his feet, Miles Sanders will, Boston Scott will, Kenneth Gainwell will, and those offensive linemen are going to be out there just pummeling dudes. Uh, I would pay a lot of money to just watch the trenches on Sunday of that game. You're talking about Armstead, Bosa, Ebu Khan, um, going up against you know the guys that are that have been protecting Jalen Hurts all season. That's Maialata. That's Johnson. That's Kelsey. I, I love it. I love it. If you're a purist, you might like Bengals Chiefs um, because of the offense and the. But if you're a purist from a different era, you might like the 49ers and the Eagles because of the smash mouth nature of it. Aaron Kaufman, my my wonderful producer. I got you on the mic. If you're to rank these two games as far as like, all right, I need to get my popcorn. I need to be on the couch. You're obviously going to watch both. Which one to you right now are you like, I have to have to watch every snap of this game? I mean, the Bengals. Bengals, Kansas City, because, uh, you know, as a Buffalo fan, like wanting to be aware of the things that we will constantly have to go up against. But also, like you were saying, I mean, uh, the Bengals, you know, have not been given the same hype that. Kansas City has and Buffalo was all season long and now I want to see how hurt Mahomes ankle is I want to see you know what what this offense on Kansas City will look like when it's really just Kelsey pushing it um and, and the way that Cincinnati was able to shut down Stefan Diggs like what's going to happen with Kelsey so that's the one I'm most excited for I I have like in my mind kind of a dream Super Bowl matchup with the four remaining but I'm most excited for Cincinnati Kansas City All right, right give now. me your Super Bowl matchup what are we doing let's go From like a narrative standpoint I think it would be amazing to have Kansas City San Francisco because you have like the greatest quarterback of all time versus Mr. Irrelevant. Cool. I think I think that would just be such a fun thing to watch. Um, and not, no, wait, you're talking about Mahomes. What about Burrow? He looks like he might be the greatest quarterback I know, of all you time. You had this tweet and you said this on Good Morning Football. Is Burrow like if you're starting a team right now, do you take Burrow over Mahomes? I I, I still think Mahomes is like the 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 Michael Jordan. I get you it. Know. Um, but yeah, either one. I mean, I, I think either one. You're going to have this incredible quarterback. I think Burrow has maybe a better supporting cast right now okay. with, with Chase and Higgins um, and the running backs. I mean, th- there's – and Tyler Boyd. Like, So, yeah, I think uh, my dream matchup, as much as I don't want Kansas City winning – you know, to have a Kansas City-San Francisco matchup would just be amazing from like the quarterback standpoint. And it's a rematch of the Super Bowl from three years ago. We've seen it. Um, Pre-COVID, that February 2020, uh, that was the matchup. It was 49ers versus uh, Chiefs for Shanahan and Kittle and, and Juszczyk and all those boys who went in there. And they just came up just short to Mahomes and that offense and Andy Reid. Uh, it would be fascinating to see them get a rematch. Uh, real quick, around the horn stuff. Um, I think the Bills are an interesting team to watch right now. They had so much hype going through the season. It was such an exhausting season. Um, to come up short again, divisional round, I think is a great disappointment. They didn't have enough. They just simply did not have enough left in the tank. I think it was obvious if you watch the first 10 minutes of that game, Cincinnati went up and down the field. It was 14 nothing, and that was all she wrote. Fascinating to see what becomes of them because – whether it was the 90s Oilers that were always competitive with Warren Moon but never got to the Super Bowl, 
or it was some of these other teams uh, in, in recent history. I remember, you know, the Saints uh, of the Sean Payton era, the second half of the Sean Payton era, always in the playoffs, always hosting playoff games, but never could get to the Super Bowl. Like, is that the Bills or is this just another chapter in Josh Allen's book where it's like he was like Michael Jordan losing to the Pistons a few times and had to just keep on chipping away, chipping away until he finally broke through. I find the Bills fascinating. Tremaine Edmonds is a free agent. Jordan Poyer is a free agent. Um, lots of turnover on the roster coming there. And we'll see what happens with Buffalo, whether they can get it all back together. Because, gosh, I feel like we uh, hyped them to no end last offseason. And that was a team that only made the divisional round. So back-to-back divisional rounds. And if you look at it over a three-year tract, they went AFC championship game. And they lost in a heartbreaker in the divisional round. And then they got blown out in the divisional round. They're going backwards. As much as it seems like they're knocking on the door, they're going backwards. So Buffalo is a wild team to watch. Um, as we move forward, I think the coaching stuff is really interesting. As we record this on a Tuesday, I imagine this is the week we're going to start getting some more news. But as of this recording, there are five head coaching jobs open. None have been filled and nine offensive coordinator jobs open. None have been filled. So, uh, okay. Senior bowls a week away. You got to get your staff together. Combines in a few weeks away. You'd like to have your staff together. Fascinating to see, you know, which dominoes drop and who goes where. Um, but I, I think even with the offensive coordinator jobs, it's hard with all those positions to zero in on a player or zero in on an individual to be your offensive coordinator when some of these teams don't even know who their quarterback is. Like Tampa fired Byron Leftwich and everyone applauded that. Like, yeah, it was time. To, who's their quarterback? We don't know if Brady's coming back. The Jets fire Michael Floor. Who's their quarterback? Who are we going with? Um, you go right down the list to all these guys, with the exception of maybe Lamar in Baltimore and then Justin Herbert in uh, with the Chargers, and I guess whoever the Rams hire, like we, there's a bunch of unknowns at these quarterback positions too. So you can fire all the offensive coordinators you want and blame them. Um, I don't know which offensive coordinators are lining up for which job if they don't know who the quarterback is coming in uh, to the opening week of the training camp and all that. We um, do have this morning Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I saw that. Was hired by Not Pat, surprising. So. Um, that's one of those deals where I don't think Belichick was looking to go outside the box and hire a name that he wasn't familiar with. For better or for worse, he likes to know what he's got. And Bill O'Brien has history with Belichick and, of course, has history as a head coach. And we'll see if he's the answer uh, to, to, to New England's offensive struggles. One last thing that I wanted to hit, uh, I always think the logistics of championship game week is really interesting. So if you're not aware, what happens is all four teams send representatives from their building to Arizona, the home Super Bowl site, and they do a full walkthrough and they figure out where their fans are going to have their fan activation. They figure out where the team hotel is going to be. They set up reservations for dinner for two weeks. It's it's one of the wildest thing in sports that they go through the entire process and it could all be for naught. Um, I know so many people in buildings who over the years have done that trip and it's it's, you know, in political campaign work, they call it advance work. Like you go into, okay, so there's a stump speech for this political candidate. You go in a week in advance and you make sure everything is set and the logistics are ready. And this hotel is this block of rooms. And okay, here's the walkthrough. Here's where the bus route's going to be. And you almost live the Super Bowl before you're actually living it. And so many teams, obviously half every year, go through that process only 
to not be able to live it out fully. Um, those folks are doing that this week. I always wish them well because it's a superstitious thing where like you don't want to get too excited. And yet, gosh, you can taste it. You're in Arizona. You're there. The weather's the same weather. It's going to be Super Bowl week. And you're actually living in those shoes of a Super Bowl team. Your team just needs to take care of business. Um, we have two really good guests today. The first one is a major get. I'm excited about this. I asked him before the season if he'd be willing to come on. He said, let's check in after the season. I want to focus on ball. Um, and he is now one of the most coveted names in these head coaching searches. He has coached in the Super Bowl. He was the man behind the number two ranked defense in the entire NFL. And he is a hell of a dude. Uh, Dan Quinn is joining us after this. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Our guest is one of the best coaches in football. He's taken a team to the Super Bowl and in the last couple of years has been the defensive coordinator of one of the best units in the sport. He's got a very busy week ahead and we're so thrilled that he would take uh, some time to join the season with Peter Schrager, one of my favorite guys, DQ. Dan Quinn, welcome to the podcast. A couple Jersey guys, they let us on the podcast together. Look out, bro. Let's we're go, bro. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> you and I, we love Jersey. We love boxing. We love Rage Against the Machine. And we love defense. Uh, your defense Back. put together a, a wonderful season and another great performance against the 49ers. Now that we're about 48 hours removed recording this, give us a diagnosis of the season that was for the Dallas Cowboys defense as you're kind of in the building right now and wondering, all right, what was this season as a whole? Yeah, because it's uh, when you lose and uh, you're just not ready for it, right? When the season ends, there's a hollowness that goes with that. But I would say probably... Um, one of the things I'm most proud of of the group is uh, the ability to create takeaways. So it's been all the way since 1973 and 74 with the Steelers that a team went back to back of leading the league in takeaways. Mm. And so, like I told man, shit, that's a long time, guys. Like, yeah. that's uh, see how old I am. Like this, I I was born in 1970, so like this is a big deal. So <laughs> we had a lot of fun of doing that, and so that's a credit to the players because like. There's a reason that hasn't happened in back-to-back -back years for a long time. They're hard to get. And so that really, I was really proud of them for, for that and to see the progress that the team made um, from year one on defense into year two. And I see that happening again. But uh, that, if there was one thing that I was super proud of, man, is like those guys' ability to, to create takeaways when people know you're coming, um, that's a really big deal. And so I was super proud of them for that. You know, you've coached legends of the game when you were in Seattle, of course, when you were in Atlanta. This number 11, Michael Parsons, I, I mean, just from the naked eye, he's 245 pounds. He's throwing around 320-pound Mike McGlinchey. Um, what, what do you see on a day-to-day -day basis, and just what is the ceiling for this guy? Yeah, that's a great term. The um, He's so versatile, Peter, and that's what makes um, him a unique player because he can be at right end, left end, line up, play backer, and so the ability to move around where just there's not a lot of people that can do that. And um, some of the very best of the best have been so exceptional at just, you know, the one thing that they do. And, um, you know, when you look at Hall of Fames or, you know, guys like Jason Taylor, who's just so damn exceptional, 
right in and ripping it every time and was so successful doing that at that spot where Micah, you know, is so different. He's coming from backer, he's playing DN, and I think that is his superpower, bro. It's the speed that he can beat you to the punch, but not everybody can be in two spots to take a pass rusher and move him back to linebacker or move a linebacker and move him down to DN. That's the superpower for him. And uh, so when a guy has special traits like that, I think that's our job as coaches to find ways to feature him and utilize him, much like we do on offense. Hey, this receiver can do other things. We see, you know, like just talking about Kyle's experience of running backs who can play receivers, receivers who can play mm-hmm. running backs. And so we just happen to have some safeties that can play backers and some linebackers that can play ends. So I think there's a lot of good that comes with guys who are really versatile and um that's one of Micah's superpowers. He's a really good competitor. You would like, uh, if you challenge him on something, like you better bring it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. And we do the Baldies breakdowns here, and we've got all the NFL films footage. Give me one play from this season that just comes to mind if you were to look at the Micah Parsons experience and take us through it. I would say we were playing um, Detroit in a game here at home, and we had lost to Philadelphia uh, the week prior. And, uh, I can remember pointing out some plays in the game to say, I think you can make that one and that one if you really, really go. And it just so happened, Peter, that the very next week there was a screenplay and uh, he just hauled ass and chased the tight end and made a tackle like on the one inch line. And he didn't know if he was going to make it or not. He just had to go. And I think that was the lesson to say, you don't know when the play is going to be because he stopped him at like the one inch line and the next play Demarcus Lawrence forced a fumble Hell yeah. on the goal line play. So it was like, I was so happy that like in one moment I got to show that's going for it. And even when you know you might not make it, it had to be 25 yards away. But he said, I'm going anyway. And uh, he went and then it had to be reviewed. Was he in? Was he out? That wasn't the point. The point was he went. So the next play, because of that run, allowed a takeaway to take place because DeMarcus, you know, made a good play and hit him and bar recovered. So they, that's the sequence. If there was one, you know me, like teaching, if there was one teaching example for this season to say, you never know when it's going to be that play, you just haul ass. I and love it. See where it goes. So that's, that's the one, if you had one to pick. You were in Seattle under Pete, and I remember going up to those practices and it was like it was Lollapalooza every single day on that practice field. And there was music rocking and there was competition. And then you'd get into the facility and there's a basketball hoop everywhere you turn. And we're competing with you brought the competition, you know, with you from Seattle to Atlanta, where I remember going to that building in Flowery Branch and it was always rocking. How have you evolved from being the Seattle coach to the Atlanta coach to now what you can add from your Dallas experience to whatever's next? Yeah, I think that's a great one. And so when I left Atlanta, um, had some space to figure out what to do differently and what to do better. And so into those moments when you get let go, it's a, a lonely spot. So you want to dig in to say what's different and how can I, you know, make sure if there was a mistake made or something that was good that you either continue to do that or stop do that and do it differently. And so that alone coming here to Dallas has allowed me to say this is some things I would do differently. And uh, the competition is still front and center at where we go, but the way we teach it, the concepts that we can do and allowing that to take place, that to me is where it's at. So I definitely evolved from Seattle to Atlanta. And then these two years here in Dallas, man, I've had a blast. I've been able to try new things and it's really helped energize me to say, 
all right, that's a good way to go. And you know me, I always like promoting leadership. So I'm yeah. proud of the group of leaders that have become on this defense. I would say probably in 2021, I had to do more of the leading. They weren't ready. They were just still feeling it out. And then now you see more leaders emerge here to where I was able to step back when some uh, conflicts or problems arose to see how they'd handle it. And that to me is the very best teams I've been a part of have been really strong in the locker room together, accountability, problem solving. And this group is doing that. And so that's really cool to see. One of the things I love is talking to you about how you prepare these teams for game day. And back in your Atlanta days, I know from those players there, you would often lean on the sweet science. You would go to boxing matches from yesteryear and you would show them and tell them the story of the match and say, all right, here's Hector Camacho. Here's his story. Or here's Roy Jones Jr. Here's what he had going on going into this match. Um, the boxing and football parallels. I think it's important, and I I love it. Take us through that a little bit, and what a what a library of knowledge you are when it comes to the sweet science. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I think in both sports, you better expect adversity to happen because it is 100% going to be there. Whatever you have for your game plan on offense or defense or teams, like there's going to be some changes that go. You're going to have to get your ass up off the mat one time. Like you didn't keep your hands up, you know, you, you got – complacent you you got lazy you lost focus there's all the stories that can go and then at the end of it when your preparation is just right and you cannot wait for the fight you can't wait because like you've put the work in so now at this point i'm no longer really thinking about you i'm thinking about how i'm going to come attack you and so that to me was where it was at always there was a game plan for every fighter going into a fight but knowing that that is going to have to adjust and When players recognize that, Peter, I think that's important to say, this is the plan. And if they do something different, we'll adjust. And this group on defense here has done that because, okay, if they didn't want to, you know, let Parsons, you know, chip and go like, this is how we're going to have to attack. If they want to run more screens, this is how we're going to have to play. And so knowing that it's adjustable, I think that's a really powerful tool for a ball player to say, it may not go exactly like we think. But however they want to get it on, we'll be ready for that. And uh, that's why I love using those analogies, because there's always a lesson um, that you can find from boxing and apply it to our sport. All right. I'm going to quiz you real quick and get you. This is going to be the hot take stuff. Um, Greatest heavyweight of all time. Is it Ali or do you have another name you want to throw in the mix? Oh, man. I mean, from my era, I would say Tyson, you know, on the one coming up. I think, if I'm not mistaken, prior to... Buster Douglas. Did anybody even go past five rounds? No, it was an, I, I don't think there's a single one. In fact, I think most of them were within two rounds. Coming up as a teenager and into college, like that was the one, you know, like how exciting that was to see him fight. So probably because it was that era of time of what that felt like, that would be um, the one I probably connected with the most. Um, but I would say at the end of it, um, from a middleweight, I would say like my two favorites, like I love the four Kings. If you've watched that yes. uh, documentary, but like, seeing Hagler, seeing Hearns, like seeing Ray Leonard, like those ones to me, those are some of my favorites, like out of, of all time. So I'd say I'm still going with Tyson okay. um, because of our era or my era. And then past that, some of the middleweights from that time were really cool to watch. Well, you mentioned Hagler and Hearns. Of course you have Duran Leonard. Yeah. Um, and then of course you have, you know, the Olympics where Leonard goes off and, the, and then they fight again in the Olympics. Your favorite fight of all time. If you were to say you can watch any fight on a fight pass and put it on right now, we're watching a boxing match. It could be anything. It could be, you want to talk about Prince Nassim Ahmed. We can watch him. Who are you going with if we're watching any fight in the history of boxing? Yeah, if I had to go out to Vegas, the um, 
14-year-old version of me would like to be at Hagler Hearns yeah. and to see the pace of that. Because when you watch it, there is a element of like, this is going so hard, so fast that like, no, no chance this is going, you know, 12 rounds, let alone 15 rounds. I'd say if I had to pick one, that probably would have been the one. I can remember taping it as a kid on my VHS yes. and then putting it back in to watch it again and just seeing that look, that intensity. And uh, so I love, honestly, both uh, Hagler and her. So to see both of them go um, from the Motor City Cobra to Marvelous Marvin Hagler, like those two totally were two that I looked up to um, at all times. Now, look, I know you're not getting into media anytime soon. You've got a lot of coaching left to do. But if I was to put you on the spot and say you faced the Eagles twice this year, you faced Kyle uh, the last two years in the playoffs, what is something that you as a defensive coordinator would be watching if it's Eagles 49ers? I know the sore might be a little too fresh or the wound might be a little too fresh coming off a Sunday. But just from an objective standpoint, knowing these teams inside and out, knowing these coaches inside and out, what's something that your eye immediately looks at as far as a matchup goes or maybe what yeah. you would be keying in on for this game? Right. I think, Peter, on this team, both of them are really going to be like third down is going to be the thing because both teams, you're not going to have 13 possessions in this game. Both no. teams can run it and play pass and possess it. So when it gets to that third down, who can answer? And Philadelphia's pass rush is just excellent. So if San Francisco can live in the third and ones and third and twos and threes and fours, that to me would make all the difference. And same thing on the Philadelphia side. You know, if they can live in third and ones, twos and threes and not let some of the guys ripping off the edge. So I think whoever's most effective on the early downs to play third down into the smaller amounts will neutralize both teams' biggest strength. And they've really got rush ability mm. about Philadelphia and San Francisco. So if you can play that third down into some smaller windows, Peter, that to me is going to be the key because this is not going to be a, you know, 35. No, I said this, this one might be 16, 13. Yes. This one, it's not going to be pretty. I said I would pay top dollar like I would for Hagler Hearns just to watch the trenches alone. Yep. And, uh, both lines are excellent and uh, just the ability of these guys are creative in different ways of how they utilize, you know, the run game. And so we're San Francisco. It's a, you know, it's Thebo at backfield. It's McCaffrey back there. It's perimeter stuff. It's pin and pull. And with Philadelphia, it's the utilization potentially of the quarterback of could be a run, could be a keep, could throw it to the flat. So he's kind of a triple threat where, San Francisco is going to be exceptional at some of the explosive plays where they can block you up and take your shots downfield, but it looks like a run. Yeah. I would say neither team's going to get back into a lot of drop back. I would say there's going to be a lot of runs and a lot of play passes. And uh, you're right. I see this being a really close game. I can't wait. Last question. And I appreciate you so much knowing how busy you are. Bunch of teams looking for their next head coach, looking for any sort of leader in the building. I always ask this to coaches and general managers when I interview them on the show. Leadership to you means what? I'd say it's uh, really making the tough decisions, you know, and uh, when those come up, being really strong and convicted onto those, because when you're a leader, not all of them are going to be popular, you know, and you're going to have to make some tough ones that are going to be there. But I think for me, some people talk about culture a lot. You've heard that thing a lot. And I think culture and environment are different things. Like I'm upbeat. So you talked about the music and the energy and the competition, but like the thing about the culture there in Seattle and Atlanta was competition breeds that. So mm. the music was good. We were loose, but like 
at the end of the day, you better compete and do it every single day. And so when that is things that you live by, Peter, I think that's where culture and your leadership can show through really being the example every day. And guys who are out in front, who lead, um, especially as a head coach or a general manager, uh, you better embrace that, being out in front and making the tough decisions when you have to, to say, this is how we're going to go get it on and do it. Here's why. And uh, then you let it rip. One of my favorite slogans that you gave, and I'm sure you took it from somewhere else or maybe from the Navy SEALs or whatever it was, but obviously after the Super Bowl loss, you said, embrace the suck. And I've heard a lot of teams use that since. I've heard a lot of coaches use that since. I think there's something to it. And I think everyone, and not just football, in life, if you can look at adversity in the face and say, okay, this is happening. I've got to embrace the suck and move on. I think there's a lot of strength in that as well. Yeah, because it's not, you know, blame it. You know, don't. it's kind of like, are you the warrior or are you going to be the victim here? And if you're going to be the warrior, then you go after it and say, I'm going to enjoy this fight and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. And if you're the victim, then it's too easy, you know. We didn't have enough players, had too many injuries, you know, ball didn't bounce our way, like the hell with that. So it's really how you choose to fight for it. And um, when you take on that, that mindset, I just think it can carry over into so many parts of your life when, hey, this is worth fighting for. And I'm going to fight my ass off for it. And whatever it takes, it takes. You got me ready to run through a wall. Dan Quinn, <laughs> thank you. Bro, I know you're busy this week. This means the world to me. Congrats on another great season. And uh, congrats with whatever comes in the future. All right. Lifetime of respect, my brother. I love you, dude. Thank you. you See you. Dan Quinn, amazing as always. Uh, DQ is an all-time leader and an all-time good guy. And gosh, are we lucky to have him on the podcast. All right, guys, more after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right. So last year, I'm at the Super Bowl in Los Angeles, and I'm in one of these awesome seats because I work for the NFL Network. And... They hooked me up with these great tickets, and I've got like 50-yard line, dream come true. I'm next to my wife. I'm next to Kyle Brandt. I'm next to his wife. And we're watching this Rams-Bengals game, and it's an all-time classic. And I look behind me, and there's a really good-looking dude in a number one Jamar Chase jersey. And he's cheering for the Bengals hard. Timeout comes along. I make eye contact with him, introduce himself, says, I'm Jimmy Chase, Jamar Chase's father. On my podcast right now, on the season, I'm so excited to have him. Jimmy Chase, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing great. Doing? Uh, Jimmy and I have been texting over the last 12 months because I find his insights on football awesome, and I think he is a great ambassador of not only uh, the NFL, but also his son and this Bengals team journey. Jimmy, were you in Buffalo last week? If so, what was the atmosphere and what was it like wearing a Bengals jersey in that building? It was crazy. Yes, I was in Buffalo. Okay. It was a stressful game for me because I flew in the day of, right? And they had a snowstorm in Cincinnati <laughs> and I almost missed the game. So I was having a conniption. But uh, <laughs> I'd never been late for a game. I was late for the game. 
Okay. Really? Yeah, Jamal had scored his first touchdown before I got to my seat. You weren't even there that first drive when they go right down the field. No, I was on the way. <laughs> okay, we watching it on the phone. But uh, everything panned out. Uh, it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I think a lot of people thought Buffalo would have all the emotion and be able to go. And then right away, two touchdowns in a row and Cincinnati establishes themselves. I started off this podcast, Jimmy, talking about how this Bengals team, though celebrated, is often overlooked. As a father of one of the star players, do you feel that as well, that maybe we in the media and maybe the NFL as a whole start showcasing some different teams and different players more than maybe those boys in Cincinnati? Well, um, I guess you could see that, you know. But to me, from where I'm sitting at, it looks like the people that know football knows. You know what I'm saying? You got some bandwagon reporters, and then you got some real reporters who, like, you know, stick and stay, or they know what the real deal is. So, you know, I take all of that in stride, and I know who's who, and I know what's what. Now, obviously, your son and Joe Burrow go back a long way, but there was a great photo after the Super Bowl of you and Joe's dad, and I think it was after the AFC Championship game, but it got through in Super Bowl. You and uh, Joe Burrow's father both smoking cigars after your sons took care of business in Arrowhead. I, I, I love this. What's the relationship amongst all the fathers of these players as you guys all have now created a relationship, especially you and, and Joe's dad going back to LSU? Yeah, well, you know, like the parents, we see each other all the time. You know, like real parents are really hands-on with their kid. You know, so we're at the game. We're at the tailgating. You know, we might see him here. We might see him there. You know, uh, me and Joe Daddy, Jimmy, we kind of connected by the hip now. You know, it's like, <laughs> look like we're going to be doing this for a minute. So, you know, we, <laughs> we just take off and uh, we're getting our cigars ready for this weekend. Okay. Yeah, as you yeah. should. Um, take us back to LSU. Jamar's a, a, a top prospect coming out of New Orleans. And then they get this this transfer student coming from Ohio State who couldn't get on the field at Ohio State. What was your reaction? What was the overall reaction? LSU obviously is a big Louisiana school, and here comes this kid from Ohio. What was the reaction when Joe Burrow stepped on campus for all of you guys? Well, uh, it was an unknown factor, you know. I told Jamal, you know, Jamal didn't want to go to LSU. And he was like, I'm like, they got this guy, uh, Joe Burrow, he's coming in. He says he's pretty good. He's like, damn, I don't want to deal with that dude. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, Jamal, we don't have a choice. You know, like everybody <laughs> knows that LSU underutilized their receivers. Yeah. Back then, before that, right? So I'm like, when you go to the league, people are going to know that you're pretty good because LSU didn't use you in the right way. But then when Joe and Jamar got there. LSU changed that concept, and mm-hmm. you know the rest is history. Yeah, uh, Blitnikoff winner, and then obviously uh, he t- teams up with Justin Jefferson, and it's one of the most electric offenses of all time. Burrow throws sixty touchdown passes that season. Jamar's the recipient of a bunch of them. Uh, how special was that time at LSU and all those guys were clicking and you got Patrick Queen on defense and all the rest of the guys as they now emerge and are stars in the NFL. Man, that year was so crazy, Peter. You know, you know, guess what? The best part of the, the season was practice, okay? Yeah. I would go to all the practices, well, whenever I could, like two times out the week, right? And practice was, like, so intense with that team. Like, Jamar and Derek Stingley used to fight every day in practice. 
okay? <laughs> and I'm hanging out with Derek Stigman's dad, me and him standing next to each other on the sideline. And they break out in a fight in front of us, right? <laughs> so the whole staff looking at me and him, I'm like, I'm not fighting. Like, not getting involved. But the practice was intense, bro. That was that was a really good team. Yeah, it was. And then you go on this wild ride, and then the Demar you know, takes off that year due to COVID, and says, "I'm gonna just wait this out." That was tough, I'm sure, for all you guys, knowing how, what competitors you are. What was that year like? The year where Jamar Chase did not play college football and waited for the NFL draft the following season. That was really stressful. Mm-hmm. That was really stressful because number one, uh, Jamar didn't really want to opt out, right? And we had to make some uh, business decisions. You know, I told him he needed to start thinking about his future. He wasn't really crazy about it, but he understood it in the end, you know. Then after he was watching the games, he was ready to go back to school. He's like, I'm about to opt back in. I'm like, hold on, man, wait a minute. Like, you can't make an emotional decision like that, right? Because he wanted to help his team so bad, right? So he just started coaching them from the phone. Like he would coach them. They would call him after every game. He would call them before the game. So he was really coaching the team. Obviously, you're so tight with your son, and you've served as such a great mentor for him. That preseason, I'll never forget, he had three drops in a game or a practice, and everyone was ready to call Jamar Chase a bust. I don't think Jamar ever lost a, a step of confidence. What was the conversations like with father to son when the media started nitpicking every pass that he was dropping during the summertime? They put me on a band. His mama and his agent took my phone and they told me I couldn't see anything. Because <laughs> I was livid. I was livid. Okay. I'm still mad with the reporter that started it because I know who it was. Okay. You know, but Cincinnati, the Cincinnati folks didn't know who Jamar was. You know what I'm saying? And then they were so used to like bad things happening to them in Cincinnati. So they was just, you know, waiting for the ball to drop, the other foot to drop. They took that and they ran with it, but I was living. And then he goes on and has the greatest season ever had by a rookie in the NFL, a wide receiver. And that that is Randy Moss. That is Justin Jefferson. That is Odell Beckham. Now, us draft Knicks and us guys who follow the league say, wow, okay, he came out of no... Were you at all surprised he came out of the gates like he did and then tore up the league the way he did in year one? Well, you know, as a father, right, people have been telling me this. Like, he could be this, he could be that, you know... First, they said he was a top five pick. And I was like, okay, yeah, all right. Then they said he could be, you know, take over the league. And I was like, yeah, okay, all right. You know, that's my son, right? Then Chris Carter, I heard Chris Carter say on the NFL Network that Jamar was the best rookie ever. And then when Chris Carter said it, I had to take a step back. I'm like, he knows what he's talking about. (laughs) He got (laughs) your validation there. You need to hear from the Hall of Famer. I'm dying to meet him so I could thank him because he was the first one to say it, mm. right? Then Randy Moss said it, right? And then when those two guys said it, I was like, wow, yeah, it's really real. I started off this podcast talking about how they, you know, the defensive coordinators got no head coaching interviews all season. It was Allen or Mahomes, Allen or Mahomes, here's Burrow. And then, of course, you've got, this game this week, and it's all about Mahomes' ankle. Um, what's the feeling amongst Bengals fans as you guys have beaten Mahomes and Andy Reid the last three times you faced them? Well, they're, they're pretty confident. They're pretty confident, you know, but as a uh, former football player and as, as a competitor, I know it's not going to be a cakewalk. 
you know, we're going, you know, we play in the jungle and they're really about to go into a jungle in Kansas City because they're, I know they're waiting on the Bengals, you know, so it's going to be a tough match, but the Bengals have been doing it. They've been pulling it out and like we have all the confidence in the world. You know? They got to, they got to stop us. That's the, that's the sentiment with the Bengals. They got to stop us. Jamar has been an amazing college and pro player. When did you first know that your son was special as a football player? I knew he was special way back in uh, Middle League, right? In uh, Park Park 1, right? But I always wanted to see how special he was, right? So I was always looking for him to go against the top competition. So as we progressed through high school and stuff like that, and, you know, no one could press him one-on-one. So I would always come up with an excuse. Well, that guy wasn't that good. They said he was good, but he wasn't that good. Let's see somebody else. And then he'd get that guy, and I was like, well, he wasn't that good either. Let's see somebody yeah. else. And then the next thing I know is, like, when he went to LSU, he went through all the top corners that year. C.J. Henderson, yeah. uh, A.J. Terrell, a couple of other guys. It was, it was a lot of cornerbacks. Sertan in Alabama. Sertan, yep. right? Diggs, right? We did everybody that year except uh, the guy Okafor at Ohio State. And Okuda. that's what I wanted. Yeah, Okuda. Yeah. Okuda, yeah. That's what I wanted him to go against. But uh, he panned out pretty good against all the cornerbacks. So that's when I knew he might be a little special. Take us through draft night. You guys are sitting there. There's talks of either Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase going to Cincinnati. We know Joe Burrow's there, and we have since heard that Burrow kind of gave Zach Taylor the head nod and said, yeah, if you can get me my guy, that would be really appreciated. When did you know Cincinnati, and what was your reaction when he was selected? We kind of always knew it was going to be hard for Cincinnati to pass him up. You know, uh, Jamar told me, he said, Dad, if I get with Joe, we're going to kill I'm like, slow it down, son. I don't know. I mean, I like Joe. This is the NFL, son. <laughs> I like Joe, but this is Cincinnati. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that. I'm just telling you that. If I get with Joe, we're going to kill. You know, and then draft night come, and they got a lot of, you know, a lot of things go on before the pick. Right? So it was Miami, Atlanta, Philadelphia. It was a lot of teams in the mix. Mm-hmm. And then when Cincinnati came, it was like, it was a, a bit of a, a relief, but Jamal was pretty happy with that. He was pretty yeah. happy to get back with Joe. And it's been great ever since. Uh, in closing, there are a lot of you know fathers who are listening to this podcast, fans of the NFL. What would be your one piece of wisdom if their dreams are to see their kid excel at the highest level? How do you be a father that isn't so involved that he turns his kid off from the game, but then is also involved just enough to be the perfect support system while he makes his rise to the league. Well, you have to know your kid, right? You got to know how to motivate him. You got to know how he, he takes, you know, and you got to give and take. You can't be all hard on him. You know, I, I'm the hardest on Jamar than anybody. Yeah. Like, I give him no credit. I'm the only one that tells him no. You know, <laughs> and, uh, like, you know, I had to, I'm a, I'm a counselor by trade, you know, a social worker. Okay. So I, I kind of like play a psychological game with him. Or like then, you know, and a lot of things I did with Jamal, he didn't understand. And then that's why, I don't know if you've seen a tape that I did on draft night. No. Where uh, they asked us to do a tape to talk to your son and tell him congratulations. And I did a little thing on it. It went viral about uh, how I was so proud of him. And he did all the things that I asked him to do. 
and now he's a grown man. I have to let him go. You hmm. got to know when to hold him and when to fold him. You know? hmm. And I had to give him the uh, the pass because you know I used to ride him hard, and I let him know that you know you're good now. And I gave him hmm. everything that I had, and that's why you see him doing what he's doing now because he has a lot of information, he has a lot of support, and he has a lot of knowledge. You know, even though you say he got it from Joe Burrow. But I gave him to him first, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, before I let you go, you'll be in Arrowhead on Sunday, I imagine. Will you be rocking that number one Chase jersey? I'll be in Arrowhead Friday. <laughs> <laughs> You're not missing any flights. You're not missing any flights. Uh, no. You'll be the guy in the number one jersey, maybe smoking a cigar with Burroughs' dad after the game, huh? Waiting to smoke the smoke. We're going to be smoking after the game, especially when we win. Okay. Uh, good luck this weekend. I'll be at Super Bowl in Arizona. We might be hanging out again. Uh, we might have another oh, rendezvous. Definitely. definitely. We're going to hang out this time. I appreciate you always. I love our correspondence. I love our friendship. Uh, and I love watching your son play. And it's a testament to you as a father. Congratulations on all the great success. Well, I just want to say one thing, Peter. I mess with yeah. you because I love your passion and your knowledge for the game. Right? I seen you did a little piece last week about Dallas and San Francisco, right? Mm. I used to be back in the days, and, and you were so amped up about that. I lived that, okay? I lived that. I was there, like, that was when football was football. You know? That was crazy, bro. But I love your passion for the game. And I love yours. Dude, that is awesome. Good luck this weekend. You're the man. Jimmy Chase. Jamar Chase is pops and a, quite a talent on his own. Jimmy, thank you, man, for joining the season with Peter Schrager. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Good luck this weekend. Jimmy Chase, awesome yeah, guest. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Let's get into the playoff preview presented by our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. As of Tuesday morning, Cincinnati at Kansas City has the road team favored. The Bengals are favored not by a half a point, not by a point, not by a point, by a full two points. Cincinnati is favored in Kansas City by a full two points. The money line, if you like the Bengals, is minus 115. If you like the Chiefs, it's minus 105. The over-under, the total is 47. If you're betting the over, it's minus 115. If you're betting the under, it's minus 105. That spread is about Mahomes' ankle and Mahomes' ankle only. I I think if Mahomes' ankle is healthy, that's a three and a half point Chiefs spread. I think no one knows what we're getting with Mahomes. And this is why... This week is so important. You get these bets in on Tuesday. You start breaking it down on Tuesday. It's very different than what we might have on Saturday. Um, let me explain. I think we're going to have real, accurate, and good idea based on whether he practices during the week, whether he's walking at practice. Because here's the thing. When the conference championship game is there, all the national media is split into two cities. They're, they're either in Kansas City for the game or they're in Philadelphia for the game. And if you want to go a little bit earlier in the week, they're in just four cities. So usually, this is not crazy math, you've got 32 teams and 16 games in a week, right? So you've got reporters from your staff if you're ESPN or NFL Network all over the place. This week... You got four cities and you're sending multiple reporters to Kansas City. You're sending multiple reporters to Philadelphia. You're sending multiple reporters to San Francisco and Cincinnati. Meaning the scrutiny on this ankle is going to be so high from every network, from every reporter, every magazine, every newspaper, everyone's there. And you better believe the best reporters are going to be focused on this ankle. So if I'm looking at Mahomes 
And I'm looking at him last week. And I, like I said earlier, I think pure adrenaline was a lot of that thing. And Henny did a great job leading them 98 yards. But Jay Glazer's report Sunday was like the first salvo. It was the first thing we got. And he said that Mahomes woke up on Sunday and felt a lot better than he did Saturday night. Well, that could mean the swelling went down. That could mean that he slept with it 45 degrees in the air. We don't know. But I promise you, by Friday and Saturday, the information will be different than when you're listening to this now on Tuesday and Wednesday, and that spread will reflect that. If you think you saw that injury and Mahomes' ankle is worse than it might be at the end of that game when he was throwing that jump touchdown to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, well, then go with Cincinnati. Go with your gut. The ankle is going to be a huge deal. If you think Mahomes grits this out and you think that Mahomes at home is going to be able to find a way to finally get the best of Joe Burrow and that that offensive line, which they pay so much money, can keep him upright just long enough for him to be able to navigate the pocket and make the big plays, then go with Kansas City. Uh, the minus two to me is negligible. It's 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 a field goal or not. You're not going to win many games by one or two points. It's basically, is this a one-score game or not? If that's the case, pick the team you think is going to win. And I would say, hold off. Hold off until Friday, hold off until Saturday, and hold off right before that kickoff. I want to know every last piece of information on Mahomes' ankle. To me, that is storyline one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. It's Mahomes' ankle week, everybody. Jump on in. That was the playoff preview presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Four NFL teams two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Download that DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the code THESEASON. It's one word. THE SEASON. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code the season. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Void in Ohio and Ontario. Bonus issued as free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. 10 plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Deposit parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. That's this week's episode of the season with Peter Schrager. I love doing this podcast and I love having on guests like this. Dan Quinn, awesome as always. Good luck to him and his head coaching interviews. And uh, if he's on that Dallas sideline next year, watch out. They'll be back. And if he's somewhere else, we'll say we knew you when. Uh, and Jimmy Chase, Jamar Chase's father, awesome guy, uh, great perspective, and a huge, huge football fan. We know he'll be in Kansas City rocking with those Bengals uh, on Sunday. Guys, thank you for listening each week. The feedback keeps on getting better and better, and I feel like we're getting more and more listeners. As always, I want to thank Aaron Juan Kaufman, star producer from iHeartRadio, Jason English, also an iHeart hero, and then we've got uh, Matt Schneider and Jason Kleiman over at the NFL Network who do a fine job with all the digital stuff, and then our music man, the legend that is uh, Jack Rudd. He puts together that funky beat that's underneath me right now. Till next week, guys, enjoy the games.
The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.